Welcome to the Magpie and Bunny podcast, where we talk about everything that we can't justify talking about anywhere else. I am Higgle. I mean Hogwart. I mean Hedgewart. I mean Hogbrain. I mean Hoggle. Uh, my name is Belle, and my pronouns are she, her. Hello, I am a grizzled mercenary who has been hired by an eccentric millionaire in order to attack them at random times so that they never let down their guard. My name is Bubbles, she, her. And today's very special episode uh, is about the best movie ever made. It's called Labyrinth, and we're going to talk about it. The 1986 film starring David Bowie. And Jennifer Connelly. And Jennifer Connelly, her too. I don't know if this was one of her first films, but it was uh, pretty close. I think she was only like 15 when, when she made this. You know, I'm going to be having to um, put the date on every movie that we release, because I cannot watch any movie or TV show without knowing what year it came out. Uh, I mean, that's fair, I guess. That is a thing for me. It drives me insane if I'm watching a movie and I don't know when it was released. I mean, I feel like you could feel like you could figure it out <laughs> depending like i you can look at labyrinth and know that it's an 80s movie yes but like if i was looking at it i'd be looking at it and i'd be trying to guess okay but like did this come out like during like this era of the 80s or this era of the 80s did this come out before this movie or after this movie was this like david bowie during this time frame or this time frame i have to know exactly what year a movie came out or else it'll just bother me the whole movie uh, that's understandable. It's not, but thank you for patronizing. It isn't. It isn't. I'm trying to be supportive uh, because I feel like I'm the one helming this episode because uh, I love this movie. And fair warning to our audience, I didn't rewatch the movie um, before recording this. Uh, I probably haven't seen it in a couple years, and I still have the majority of it memorized. <laughs> I did rewatch it recently, but I feel like that doesn't help because this movie is all over the place. And I love it. Yes, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so I was really excited to watch this movie because, like, it's a movie that I've heard about and that I've seen plenty of clips from. It's like, like every, like most people have heard of Labyrinth, especially in our circles where we like like older stuff and nostalgic stuff and where we like anything with fun animatronics in it. That all, all those are things that describe the labyrinth, and plus it has David Bowie in it. So, you know, the labyrinth is something that people talk about because it is a weird-ass movie, and for people who like weird-ass movies, it is something that you don't ignore. But I haven't, I haven't seen it before, so when we were talking about things to do for a second episode, and one of the things that was suggested was labyrinth, I got really excited, mostly because it was... I know it had songs in it, and I love musicals, and I wanted to cover a musical. Um, it's it's, it's not a traditional songs. musical. Like, it's it's very much not Broadway style. It's... Uh, for anybody not in the know, this is a Jim Henson-directed film, of which there are relatively few of, at least theatrical feature-length pictures, uh, pictures excuse me and um labyrinth is actually the last movie jim henson ever directed i will also say it is purely a coincidence that we did um two properties in a row that had involvement from jim henson that had well to be fair dinotopia didn't have jim henson himself like it had jim henson the company not jim henson the man Yes, but these are two properties that were at least loosely affiliated with Jim Henson in some way, but that was not planned. Uh, correct. Labyrinth, though, is heavily influenced with Jim Henson, because Jim Henson was reportedly very, very unhappy with the results. Not the movie itself. He liked the movie. It was a passion project of his, um, because he... Uh, wanted to move away from the Muppets and make more, like, fantastical movies, the first of which was The Dark Crystal. You've probably seen it. It's... It's good. Are you speaking and then he wanted... Sorry, speaking but it got very, very heavy. I mean, Jim Henson wanted to make, like, a more lighthearted, uh, like, a funnier movie. 
but still having like that magical like fantasy darkness edge to it, which is where Labyrinth came in. Except Labyrinth was a horrible box office failure. I think it made like $13 million and cost much, much more than that to make. Um, and the critical reception was uh, mixed, is, the, is the, the classic movie term, the film criticism lingo, mixed reviews. Some people liked it, some people were like, eh, whatever. Jim Henson was, like, very put off by that. Um, he was very upset at its, uh, at that, especially because late 80s, that's when his health started to fail. Uh, and then, of course, by 1990, he unfortunately passes away, thus making Labyrinth his final film. Um, but it's a damn good one to end on. It is memorable, that's for sure. It's, it's a cult classic for a reason. Yes. So, a big thing for me about this movie, like, as I mentioned before, I was really excited for the songs and for it to be a musical. But, like, there's only a couple songs in here, and not only that, but, like, you know, in most musicals, there are songs that, like, develop character or tell you what's going on in the story. Um, <laughs> or that... <laughs> like, they're relevant in some way. But what I kind of love about all these songs is that they have nothing to do with anything that's going on. Mm-mm. They don't explain anything. I think I, I can think of two songs off the top of my head. Um, the first one being the most popular. Um, I think it's Jump Magic Jump is the name of the song. I don't remember. Well, um, well, Bubbles. Bubbles. My name is Bubbles. You remind me of the babe. The babe? The babe with the power. The power of what? The power of voodoo. Voodoo? You do. What? Remind me of the babe. Okay, we had to do that. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. We were not going to do it exactly right, but that's fine. We'll work with that. I guess we'll just have to do it like six times. <laughs> no, we're do- one take and we're done. That was enough. But yes, that was the best song in the whole. That was my favorite song. Very catchy. It's and the, the song other everybody one- remembers. Um, yeah. Even though I really like the song from the end. We'll get there. I'm assuming we're going to go as linear, linearly... Lin- mm, taking that one again. <laughs> I assume we're going to go as linearly... Linearly... The fuck? We're going to go as linearly as possible. I hate you, because you're going to keep that in the edit. No, don't worry. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Don't worry. No, it's fine. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> anyway, here's some here's some history of Labyrinth for you. Some fun Labyrinth facts. Um, the idea came about uh, between Jim Henson, of course, creator of the Muppets, if we haven't said that already. Jim Henson and his friend uh, Brian Froud, or Frode, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce his name, but he was a fantasy artist. Uh, he did a lot of amazing things. He worked with Jim Henson on Dark Crystal. And Jim Henson's like, yo, let's make another movie. It's going to be uh, a bit more lighthearted because Dark Crystal got real heavy. So they they set out to do it. Um, I believe it was Jim Henson's daughter that was like, hey, why don't you get Terry Jones, the guy from Monty Python to write a script. So Jim Henson asked him and he said, okay. Um, I th- he's the only credited writer on the movie, but he, so the he only wrote the first that, pass of the script and it had been edited and rewritten. So the fact like, that this movie was by a guy from Monty Python explains a lot. I'm going to tell you that right up front. Well, uh, according to Terry Jones himself, most of the finished script wasn't his. Like, it had it, just been revised so much that it basically wasn't what he had written. Okay. Well, it definitely uh, feels according like... According to him. I don't know how true that is. I don't know why he would lie, but... Uh, Monty Python is also full of shitheads, so I don't know. 
Well, the movie definitely feels like a loosely, excuse me, a loosely connected collection of sketches, more so than an actual story, which I think is yes. something that's really fun about it. Uh, that's that's kind of part of the idea. Uh, it's very Lewis Carroll, L. Frank Baum, Maurice Sendak, like all of those writers having that um, having that certain style of person goes into magical world crazy vignettes happen maybe there's a conclusion and some of it might symbolize some cool stuff and some of it might not who's to say um senator jim henson was on record as saying that obviously labyrinth takes a lot of influence from things like alice in wonderland and wizard of oz and that kind of stuff uh, but he very specifically said that he didn't want to like uh, we don't want to one-up them we don't want to outdo them or something like that um we're just making a story in the same style okay okay and that's also that's also why um one of the fun little easter eggs is at the beginning of the movie uh because i guess we should start actually talking about what happens in the movie um yeah sarah played by jennifer connelly her room is full of stuff that you will see in the labyrinth that she goes into and it's full of like she has books she has like alice in wonderland she's got wizard of oz books she's got marie sendak books like everything that inspired them when making the movie is in her room as well as like you can see a doll of one of the fireies you can see like the the chess set you could like the labyrinth is is there you can see um relativity the mc escher painting that the the finale takes place in is on her wall like it's like everything that she encounters in the labyrinth is in her bedroom oh nice uh it's it's, it's the movie's great it's so cool it's full of little details like that that's a cool touch. Um, but I guess we need to talk about the plot. Yes, this is this is another property that wastes no time getting down to business. I think it takes like ten minutes, and by ten minutes you are in the goblin realm or like there at the labyrinth. Yeah, no, it's like we get the very brief setup of Sarah is practicing for a play. She has to rush home. She's stuck babysitting her her little brother. Um, she's annoyed by this because she's supposed to be like 16. She wants to do 16-year-old things, which doesn't include taking care of a baby while her parents go on a date. On so, a date. Yes. So she uh, wishes for her baby brother to be stolen away from her and then the magical goblins hear this wish and take him away from her like and you it do. is so surreal too because it keeps cutting to like these goblins who like are not they don't like try to establish the goblins before this point you just cut to a screen where that is just filled with a bunch of goblins crammed together and i guess they're all like sleeping and they wake up and they go oh hey someone's making a wish and they don't try to explain it, and I respect them for that. No, it's just, it's just, it's magic. Like, there's no explanation. It's just goblins can hear you when you wish for babies to be stolen, because goblins steal babies. It's what they do. Yeah, I feel like if you're, like, reading a fairy tale to a kid or something like that, it's more like this than it is, like, any kind of world building or backstory or anything like that. I mean, like, yeah. goblins just exist. You just jump in there and you just roll with it. It's 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 a way of telling stories that I really like that isn't done a lot anymore, which is just abandoning logic. Like, we're not here for reason. We're here for the emotion. Yeah, I don't I don't care why there's goblins. I just want to have fun with the goblins and play with the goblins. Right. So... After that, uh, enter the Goblin King, who, as everybody knows, is played by 
uh, some guy. I don't recall his name. I think he's famous. I'm not sure. I think he released an album. That sounds it was one hit wonder, right? Something like that. <laughs> You're terrible, and I would not have you any other way. <laughs> No, it's David Bowie, and he's wearing an insane spandex suit, and everybody's gonna joke that you can you can see his naughty bits. It's fine. Um, yes, there is some bulge in those pants, and it is necessary. We cannot just gloss over that. There is some bulge in that spandex. Ground control to Major Tom. Am I right? David Bowie is like. Hiding a gun in there. He's uh. That's not a metaphor, by the way. I'm trying to remember. I know. I know the outfit is like a combination of a bunch of different inspirations. Elvira. I don't know. I've, I don't know if I've ever read an explanation for putting him in just the tightest pants I've ever seen. I. That's just what rock stars did in the seventies. This is the eighties, but, but yeah. David but, I mean, you know, David Bowie, he was also in the 70s. Yeah. It was actually, I believe it was on a, a tour in America when Jim Henson approached him and be like, hey, do you, you want to be in a movie? You get to play Crazy Goblin King. Which I'm sure is exactly how he phrased it. That's what would have gotten David Bowie to jump on board, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's when uh, when David Bowie was on board. They're just like, we need, to, we need to make David Bowie, like, write him more songs. Write the Goblin King things to do because it's, David Bowie, which the like the Jump Magic Jump song wasn't in the original script. Like it wasn't in the script until David Bowie was was in talks to be the Goblin King. But then they're just like, we're gonna have David Bowie sing. Like there's no way because like I think early on it was uh, written that you didn't see. Jarrett's lair you didn't see the inside of the labyrinth until Sarah got there at the end of the movie because it was like the big reveal mm-hmm. um but then David Bowie came on and was like no we have to have David Bowie do things we have to have him sing we have to see what Jareth is doing because it's David Bowie so they wrote a bunch more for the Goblin King to do yeah that makes sense the uh the jump magic jump song sounds very much like a David Bowie song yeah well, like a David Bowie song with like more Jim Henson style music behind it, but the lyrics are like I, I I could see that they're about as coherent and they make as much sense as something like Starman <laughs> or something like that. Okay, uh, yeah, I could see that. He did release a a single to go along with this movie. I don't remember which song it was, but he one of the songs he did release is a single. I'm gonna look this up so I don't look like an idiot, actually. Uh, I'm going to look like an idiot. Look at us doing research. like Yeah, I know. I'm doing impromptu research. Yes, the more I think about this movie, the more I remember, oh, there was much more than two songs, but like I oh, only yeah. remember two songs, and the only reason I remember one of them is because there was a whole lot going on in that scene that I'm going to need to have a conversation about later. Oh, we'll get there. We, we'll get there. But we recorded five songs for the film. Okay. 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 There, it was, Underground is the one that he made a music video for. So oh, nice. That's what I was thinking of. It wasn't a single, but he, he made a music video, a labyrinth-inspired music video for the song Underground. So um, David Bowie shows up. Um, if you want a, some, some fun little labyrinth facts about this part of the movie, uh, the, little crystal, the little crystal balls that he plays with, um, that's not his hand. That's a... That's somebody behind him sticking their hand out of his cloak and, and doing it. Uh, at that, that's what we call a special effect in the business. Which is a thing that everybody knows, except you, because you've never seen the movie. <laughs> would you believe me if I told you I knew that anyways? I would. I it's it's a very well-known fact. Well, I'm glad you would believe me, because I'd be lying. Well, whatever. If you want another fact that might not be as well known, the baby's name is Toby because the child actor that played him would only answer to his name and his name was Toby. 
that's kind of fun. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember what his name was originally in any of the scripts, but once they started filming, the baby, the baby wouldn't look at anybody who didn't call him Toby, so they had to start calling him Toby. I'm glad you're giving me all these labyrinth facts now because you totally cheated me on dinosaur facts last time. You gave me like a single dinosaur fact. Oh, did I? I'm you need so to give sorry. me a lot. You need to give me a lot more David Bowie facts to make up for it. I can I can throw out a dinosaur fact real quick, like. Uh, there was a, a like three or four year period where uh, we thought that the uh, Brontosaurus didn't actually exist and that it was just a mistake. It was just an Apatosaurus body with a Brachiosaurus head or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then I believe 2015, there was like, no, Brontosaurus was an actual thing. We have found evidence of it. Like, Brontosaurus exists. We're, we've confirmed it. Thank you, biologists and anthropologists and archaeologists and all of theologists. You're doing you're doing the Lord's work, teaching me about dinosaurs. All right, this podcast is officially educational, and you can now officially play it in a college classroom and consider it schoolwork. <laughs> Oh, God. Now that we've checked that box off, we can talk about Labyrinth again. Yep. Dinosaurs are done. Goblins are in. Because it's magic time, baby. Toby gets taken away, and Sarah has to go into the Labyrinth to to find him, and it turns into a like Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland journey. And this part of the movie is very fun to explain, because a lot of them... A lot of the the scenes can kind of be written in almost any order, like a series of disconnected sketches. A, a little, yeah. Like there's a there's a couple bits. The first character she meets is is little this little. Uh, I don't think he's a goblin, Hoggle. but he's a he's some kind of creature, and his name is Hoggle. They call him a dwarf. He's kind of a dwarf. If we already want some more behind the scenes facts. Uh, Hoggle is the most intricate puppet in the movie, like, bar none. I believe it took five different people to operate him at any given time. Well, that makes sense. I think he's the puppet with the most screen time. Because there was a, uh, oh no, what was... I forget her name, but there there is a woman inside the suit, right, who in the body, and... Uh, she could turn the head, but nothing her face was doing was registering on the face. So the face was controlled by four other people who all had to work in sync to make his uh, facial expressions look like facial expressions. And one of the people who uh, performed the the mouth and the jaw while also giving him the speaking voice was Brian Henson, who is Jim Henson's son. Yeah. I dig it. I wonder why they didn't just, like, hire Warwick Davis or someone like that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, but I know I know for a fact that it was not Warwick Davis in that suit. But Oh, yeah, I'm just saying, like, why, why make such an intricate puppet when you could just hire someone like Warwick Davis? Like, just someone that's just, like, in a contraplasiac. Because it's Jim Henson, and Jim Henson likes to build elaborate puppets that's like his whole thing okay which do 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 i want to tell you the fun fact story about the hoggle puppet yes that's what we're here for so do, do you know what happened to the hoggle puppet after uh after filming wrapped like do you know what's happened to it? No, I don't know anything about the behind the scenes of this movie. That's why okay. I hired you. <laughs> you didn't hire me because you don't need pay me in M and M's that you already ate the peanuts out of. <laughs> I'm paying you in exposure. So, um, the Hoggle puppet was actually lost, and so Warwick they, David they about it. like filming wrapped. They left to go back to their respective homes. They got a you know, send all the props and stuff back to whatever archive, and the Hoggle Puppet got lost in transit. Flash forward years and years later, and the Hoggle Puppet is found in a baggage claim somewhere. I forget where, 
but they're they were going through the un, unchecked bags and stuff and they opened it up and found the deteriorating foam head of Hoggle. Oh, that sounds Yeah, horrifying. and I believe, I think they auctioned him off, and now he's a collector who's restoring him. I don't remember the collector's name, uh, but he is in their possession, which is pretty cool. I'm glad somebody cares enough to restore Hoggle. But if you, if you, <laughs> if you uh, have the stomach for it, Google image the Hoggle puppet when they found it in the baggage claim, because it is terrifying. <laughs> I'm going to check it out right now. Dude, Google it. We're doing it live, everybody. Hoggle puppet discovered. Images. He was found in Scottsboro, Alabama. Yeah, there it is. I knew it was like someplace random as hell. I'm sure all of our listeners in Scottsboro, Alabama don't appreciate you insinuating that that's a random place. I mean, it's a place that I don't think was connected to Labyrinth at all. I think we have like 10 listeners from Scottsboro, Alabama alone. I think you should apologize to them. <laughs> oh my lord. That is horrifying. I figured it would just be like some like decaying foam and stuff like that. But like, uh, he's made of foam. He's got like all the pieces of his face falling off. Mm-hmm. All the innards are falling out and everything. Oh, that's some... And he's still got the, um... He looks ready for Five Nights at Freddy's. But he's still got, like, the the, the outward texture that looks like skin and, and hair and things. So it just looks like a person whose face is falling off. <laughs> it's terrifying. Revealing the Terminator beneath. Okay, but we're 30 minutes... At, we're 30... We're 30 minutes in. We haven't talked about the actual, um, in? anything... Well, some of that was where the pause yet. is. So don't, don't, don't be doing all that to me. Yeah. Okay, so. Okay. We and go I will into be the labyrinth. And uh, we, we're introduced to the whole setting. Everything is topsy turvy. Nothing is quite what it seems. She runs into Hoggle. We get that brief little introduction. Don't worry, he'll be back. She talks to the worm, who's very cute, and I love him. And tells her... The worm is fantastic. Um, And there's a really cute, like, visual effect. The worm might be one of my favorite. tells her to look beyond what she sees, essentially. Um, And it's like a little forced perspective thing where she can, like, walk through this wall and it's broken, but it lines up in such a way where you can't tell that there's more beyond it. And I've, I've, always, I've always loved that little effect that blew my mind when I was like six or whatever watching this movie. That is very fun. And now you're going to have to help me out a little bit because a lot of these scenes can kind of be arranged in any order. So I'm not 100% certain which order they occur in. Yeah, like I was saying, it's like a bunch of disconnected sketches. Yes. So I believe... Next, next is when she meets Ludo, correct? Oh, no, she doesn't meet Ludo until, like, um, way later in the story. Really? Yeah, but there's, like, a bunch of encounters that happen where, like, she, like, takes out a tube of lipstick and starts, like, trying to mark arrows all over the place. But then, like, every time she, like, puts down a little lipstick mark, um, a a creature... (laughs) And they switch it so she gets lost. Yes. Who's, like, living under the rock that she marks, like, just, like flips the rock over or like in some way changes the mark that she made. So she keeps getting turned around. She doesn't realize that she's stuck in the same place. Yep. Um, after a while, she makes her way through that. Um, she finds uh, like there, there's, she enters, she walks up to two doors and this is a riddle that I think everyone has heard in some form before where you know that like, um, that's right. That's right. The person the door guards. guarding one door tells it always tells the truth. And, one always lies and so you have to figure out how to ask them just one question so that you can find out which door is safe to go through and which door isn't safe to go through like you've all heard that sort of riddle before and she figures out the riddle she knows a solution to it um but it turns out that both the people guarding the doors were full of garbage and she goes down the unsafe door anyways Yep. And as she's falling down, it's the she's hand. She's falling down a hole. I love the hand thing. Yes. God, that's so good. And then they all like 
their hands form together to make faces and talk to her. It's so good. Yes, it it, it can. It's it kind of reminds me like a- of an old Jim Henson character whose name I believe was called Limbo or just Mister Face or something like that. Um, who appeared on Sesame Street a couple of times, but it was it was very much in the same vein of just this dark background and this strange uh like face shape that was very uncanny and man i just love it well yeah so essentially she has a bunch of encounters like this in the labyrinth where like she's going through somewhere and she's trying to make her way through and she'll encounter a character and then the character will make her even more turned around than she was before she met them and she I think he encounters like three different scenarios like that. One of them leads her to the hands. Um, and the hands will like, they, they ask her if she wants to go up or down. She says, oh, well, I'm already going down. Just help me go down. And then they just like put her all the way down at the bottom of whatever hole they're passing her through. They just I, I feel her. like my explanation for this is, yeah, I, I feel like my explanation for this, like is making it sound like really weird. And I'm telling you, it's a weird scene. Like this whole thing is, it's, all super what's the word i want to use um surreal saying it surreal is good um i I feel like i have to mention that it looks like a drug trip but i feel like it's too easy to just say oh it's like a drug trip classic um Um, and that that whole sequence um because i'm going to talk a lot about the the puppetry in this film that entire sequence was done practically yes that much was like the, that showed through in the effects. Yeah, like the entire thing, like that entire shaft was built. I think it was like 30 something feet tall. And there was like a the camera track that would follow her down and there was like almost 100 different performers doing all of the hands on top of a bunch of like non-gloved just like prop hands that were all around to make it look like there were even more people. And, uh, of yeah. course, you've got, like, Jennifer Connelly, like, strapped into a harness or whatever, and they're lowering her down while all the all the puppeteers are, like, grabbing at her and making the, the hands and stuff. It's insane. Um, there's also a... I, I don't know how true this is, but apparently during the filming of that scene, when they would take breaks, uh, Jennifer Connelly would just stay suspended. Like, they would just leave her there. <laughs> Well, yeah, so that scene would not have worked in, like, CGI or any sort of, like, computerized effects or anything like that. I I feel like it really did have to be, like, practical in order to get the effect that it did, and it really paid off. Okay, after the doors and she falls down the hands, uh, is that when she's in the the passageway with the, the talking faces and stuff and they're all sarcastic at her? I believe so. Like I said, even though, like, I've just seen it, like, I'm still struggling to remember what order things happen in like yeah, during everything it's, we've talked about so far it's it's a rough movie to put yeah, in order because like there's a couple things that happen that you're like okay that has to be at the end that has to be at the beginning but for the most part the little in-betweens can happen whenever yes like even during what we've talked about so far there was some point at which um David Bowie and all the other goblins did the jump magic jump song yep. with Toby but I cannot tell you at what point that happened. There was just like a random point in the story where it just cuts to like everyone taking a nap and Toby not having a good time. And then um, Jareth, David, I'm not calling him Jareth. I'm calling him David Bowie or King Goblin, Goblin King or King David Goblin Bowie. Starry Ziggler. But David Bowie, so David Bowie decides to cheer up Toby by singing to him. And they do the jump magic jump song with everyone. And it's super catchy and it, that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. It's, it's the part everybody remembers. Even though the one that I remember the most is when Sarah and Hoggle are running from the Crusher, I think is what it was called. That giant fucking monster bulldozer thing. It's called the Cleaner. The Cleaner. That's it. Yeah. And that's terrifying because they're in like this long dark tunnel. There's like no way out. And this thing is just chasing them, and like you're just like, okay, we're not having fun anymore. We're gonna die. So, quick note: the reason why they're being chased by this giant monster 
is because Hoggle was supposed to lead Sarah away and get her lost again, so she couldn't make it back to the center of the labyrinth in time to save Toby. Yes. Hoggle is but, a double agent. Um, Spoiler alerts. Yes. So David Bowie shows up and he says, "Oh, hey, why, 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 why you betray me, Lisa? Why you betray me?" And so um, Hoggle says that he doesn't love David Bowie anymore, and he loves David Bowie's best friend now instead. And so then David Bowie says, "You're tearing me apart," and then he sends the cleaner after them. Something like that, yeah. And then they come out at the. Oh yeah, no, because then they come out at the like the they enter they exit through like a potted plant. Uh, and then they meet the the mm-hmm. weird old man with the bird head. Oh, see, I thought that happened earlier. It might have. Oh, yes, okay. No, you're right. It had to happen afterwards because um, she tries to pay him with some of Hoggle's stuff that she stole. But Hoggle's like, no, don't pay him with my stuff. And yeah, so she takes off Hoggle's her ring. Yes. And Hoggle is like, it, it's not a, it's not quite a, a Wizard of Oz where you just like collect the party members along the way. Hoggle will come and go throughout the movie. And usually when he shows up, it's to, like, he's supposed to be trying to screw over Sarah. Uh, And nine times out of ten, he's going to be like, oh, but she's nice. I don't want to. She's actually nice to me. She gave me a plastic bracelet. Because I guess it's the first time he's seen plastic before. Well, I think it's just more that, you know, Jareth isn't exactly the nicest guy. He, you know kidnaps babies so it's probably the first like genuinely nice thing somebody's done for him it's just like ooh, they just she just gave me a shiny thank you that was cool but yeah there's like this one random part where she's like giving away her jewelry including the plastic bracelet that she's wearing and later she gives away her ring mm-hmm. and just these two things and that kind of pays off later but also kind of not really I mean, not everything pays off in the film. I will admit that, but a lot of it, I, a lot of it can be explained away in what I mentioned earlier, where this is very much a abandoned logic. We don't need it kind of story. Mm-hmm. I do think that ultimately the movie is better for that. But I just feel like it's kind of odd because it feels like the whole aspect of her like giving away her jewelry and things that she's wearing is supposed to go somewhere. But like, I mean, when something like that does get addressed later, I can't tell if that was where this was supposed to be going or if that's just like a coincidence or something. Because normally when you have... Um, something like that in a movie you have the setup, the reminder and then the payoff um, but I guess her giving away the bracelet could be the setup, her giving away the ring could be the reminder but then the payoff later is kind of odd because it feels like it should have happened before her giving away the bracelet and the ring but we'll yeah. get there we, we will and a, a lot of it is more rooted in symbolism I think because yeah. like the I whole... just feel like the whole movie, it's a coming-of-age story. She's 16. She's moving into her adult life. She's leaving behind her childish things, yada, yada, yada. She has to start taking responsibility, and she's forming relationships with people, and she's got she's having the classic debates of, do I leave behind every childish thing, or do I keep my inner child intact? There's like... There's a whole bunch of symbolism going on with that throughout the movie, while also a bunch of whack-ass goblin puppets are trying to steal her baby brother. And I wouldn't have it any other way. It's such a good movie, okay? So where are we? now we're at the part it where is. she meets Ludo, correct? Now I believe is when she meets Ludo. So Huggle runs away because they hear a loud sound. Um, and so Sarah goes to investigate the loud sound, and it is Ludo, who is being held upside down yes. and being attacked he's in, by he, people he, in he, armor. He's and snared, and these little puppets with, like, I don't, they're like shaved gophers or something on the sticks that they're trying to, like, attack Ludo with. But Ludo is 
like a giant yeti monster who can like control the earth it's he's i love him specifically rocks yeah like he summons rocks to just smash people with that's his power um and he's also adorable and he's got the big the big slow monster voice and sarah friend yes sarah's friend ludo sarah's friend ludo is the original himbo Ludo is so cute. Here's a fun, here's a fun fact. Ludo um, actually met Princess Diana. Repeat that. Ludo met Princess Diana. Oh, nice. Because um, Princess Diana was at the premiere of Labyrinth. There's a fun little history fact for you. And uh, at the premiere was, you know, Jennifer Connelly and Jim Henson was there and also, the puppet of Ludo was being performed at the at the the premiere, and oh, what did what did she, I believe Diana was like? Oh, look at him, he's so cute, or something like that. She says something. She likes Ludo, and that's all that matters. Clearly, the only influential thing she ever did. Everyone likes Ludo. Ludo is pretty great. Ludo's fantastic. So. We get we get a party member and Ludo Ludo sticks around more than Hoggle does, but Ludo and Sarah are are BFFs now. And where do they go next? They don't go to the bog next, do they? I feel like they pretty quickly end up in the bog of eternal stench. I think the only thing that happens in between is that um, David Bowie shows up to Hoggle again and tells him that he has to yeah he has to give Sarah the the peach the peach that makes her forget things yeah. And they go to the Bog of Eternal Stench, where they meet Didymus, Sir Didymus. It is a cute little dog who's riding a bigger dog. My favorite character. Really? Lord Didymus is going to be my favorite character. He's very adorable, I will give you that. And Ambrosia is sometimes a dog, and is sometimes a puppet of a dog. Correct. Depending on what the scene requires. Yeah. A special effect, if you will. So they have to go through the Bog of Eternal Stench, which Hoggle, in specific, hates. <laughs> like, Hoggle does not like being in the bog at all. Yes, and in order to set up stakes in the scene, because they can't, like, threaten the lives of the main characters or anything like that, they establish that if you step in any of the, um, if you step in any part of the bog, you'll never be able to wash it off and you will stink forever. Yes, it's a it's so, permanent, it's just permanent body odor. Yes. So that way, you don't have to... So that way, they can't say, like, oh, it's, like, characters in peril or anything like that. It's still child-safe, because now we're concerned about that, because the rest of the movie wasn't traumatic enough. <laughs> but now we want to be... But you know what? That's a fun, clever way to do it. Let's... It is. Just it's keep fun. on It's fantasy. It's, 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 it's like a fairy tale. It's very cute. The face made out of human hands. Yeah. And then... And after they go to the bog, I believe they're pretty much in the Goblin City. Yes, this is when they start the siege. Yes, which... Uh, that set was a real set that they made. Like, it, it was huge. Mm-hmm. And they have, like... a. I believe... It, it's it's everything an insane sequence when they're going through the city. Okay, wait, hold up. I just said I believe you everything in this movie is real, but I have to ask. Is David Bowie's crotch bulge a special effect? I mean, it's special to me. Fair enough, fair enough. I had to ask. I had to know. Yeah, no, it's... It's ugh, it's something. Ludo, though. Ludo's real. He's not a, he's not a special effect. He's, a, he's an actual yeti that they, uh, that they hired. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Uh, but actually, the, that puppet is insanely heavy. Uh, and I believe they had a very brief time limit of how long the actor could stay inside the Ludo suit. Which explains why he shows up so late in the game. Yeah, and it's like, during filming, because like, I'll give you a comparison. The The Big Bird outfit for Sesame Street is also kind of hefty, but the, the time limit that they've had for people in the uh, Big Bird suit at any given 
filming without taking a break is 12 to 15 minutes. Okay. So imagine how much heavier this massive Bigfoot-looking monster puppet is. And you would that's how brief that they had to film any given scene with Ludo in it. Oh dear. It's it is a is a big boy. I assume that's why instead of using the puppet suit, they just got a real Yeti to come in and play Ludo instead. Oh yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, that's also why during the scene like a- where they're hiding in the house, he just tears the house in half to get inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in through the roof. It's great. Yeah, and he pops out of the chimney and he summons the rocks and crushes all the goblins and. That whole sequence is just insane. Yes, I think my favorite thing about that scene is when, like, they're firing cannonballs at people, and the cannonballs are little goblins wearing giant spiky cannonball suits. (gasps) Yes. And that's how they shoot at people for a while, until eventually, closer to the end of that scene, the cannons are just machine guns instead. And they're just using machine gun sound effects and shooting, like, bullets made of lead that kill people. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a fantasy. <laughs> Shit went from, like, 10 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour in, like, half a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I what's mean... That- What's that meme that the children use? Well, I guess that escalated quickly. Oh, yeah. The, the children from, like, 2008. Yeah. I'm nothing if not current. That's why I'm talking about Labyrinth. You're very, look, Labyrinth is always current. There's still people that go to Comic-Con dressed as Jareth and Sarah and whatever. Like, don't even. Okay, well, I'm going to go to a Comic-Con convention dressed as the Wow, That Escalated Quickly meme from 2008. Go for it. I'm going to dress as Ludo. You can't dress as Ludo because he's a real Yeti and nobody can wear the suit because it's too heavy. And that's why I have a real Yeti. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you better be sorry. We're pretty much at the end of the movie here where Sarah is like, no, I have to go fight David Bowie alone. And everybody's like, why? We're all like monsters. We could help you. And she's like, no, I have to do it by myself because movie. So she goes in. And this is the M.C. Escher's Relativity painting with the stairs that everybody knows. Um, and they made this this whole ass set, this crazy ass effect, which is still fantastic. And I love the song that plays and I love all the like the way that they have David Bowie like move around. The set is so cool looking and the the final confrontation between Sarah and Jareth is like so well done. And I know it was supposed to be like it was supposed to go even further, I believe, in an in an earlier draft of the script. During the uh the you have no power over me part where Sarah learns that it's all kind of nonsense and the Goblin King doesn't really have any sway in anything. He's just a big, cool, scary guy. In one of the earlier drafts, I believe he, like, shrivels up and turns into, like, an ugly goblin puppet. Except now that it's David Bowie. Yeah, no. Once David Bowie's on, they're just like, nah, it's David Bowie. Through and through. Which, if I'm correct in my memory... I believe David Bowie wasn't a sure thing until, like, six months before they started filming. (laughs) Like, he was always in talks of doing it, and he was always like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. And him and Jim Henson were talking, and Jim Henson was, like, sending him, uh, like, script script revisions and, and things like that for David Bowie to read. But I don't think he actually, like, said yes and signed a contract until, like, really really close to when they started filming like david bowie we have these pants with this perfectly sized crotch bone that only you can fill oh do you know who we missed talking about which is honestly really funny what who we missed talking about the fireies yes that was the other song that i remembered because like this was all done over a green screen and these are all like very furry muppets like they're all like animal looking like they look like animal the muppet 
And so someone decided that they would all be dancing in front of a green screen and someone would try to put those over a different background. And I guess whoever was doing that green screen was just not prepared to take characters with so much hair and fur and fine details and put that across another background because it does not look professionally done. There, um... Jim Henson would agree with you because he was... I guess famously dissatisfied with the way that scene turned out, but he loved the uh, the puppeteering for it so much that he kept it in. Like he loved the puppeteering, but he hated the the. It wasn't actually a green screen; it was actually a black screen, if you can believe it. Okay, um, okay. Which is an old technique that uh, you can see a lot in in puppeteering in general, where they will have uh, the background be very very dark and then the puppeteers be in black suits to hide them better, um, which is how they used it. And then they matted them out and then they added the, the background that Jim Henson did not much care for, but is like, but the puppeteering, they did such a good job. I want to show people. So he, he added it in the movie. Well, that explains why the outline around them was so dark. Yes. But yeah, that scene was odd. You know what other scene we missed, though? Was, um, the garbage lady. Her eating the peach. Yeah. She eats the peach, and she wakes up in the, the trash, and then I love the little trash collector woman. Yes, and she comes up, and she's like, oh, Grandma, like, oh, no, you need to have these things. Just, oh, take these yep. things. And she's like, no, nice? wait. And she hands wait, her wait, wait. The My brother got stolen. What am I doing here? Yeah, and I guess this is the payoff for earlier when she starts giving away her stuff. And I don't know, like, I'm really hung up on this. Like, there's so much other weird stuff going on in this movie. And this one part where they try to have, like, a consistent through line is just, like, so off. And I can't tell if that's on purpose or if this is just, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm reading too much into this one little sub-story. Because, uh, I mean, like, as we keep saying, this whole movie is so kind of, like, incoherent and disconnected. And that's sort of, like, the strength that it kind of is ultimately playing to in the end is that it's like a collection of sketches. It's like an entire extended dream sequence. Like that's why like we all remember it so much. Maybe that's why I'm so hung up on this one thing that feels like it should make sense, but doesn't anyways. Thank you for listening to me, Mr. Therapist. Yeah. The like, but the whole, the whole movie is like that where it's like, you want it to make sense and it just doesn't. And that's, like, that's the appeal, right? Like, that's the point. Exactly. I feel like this part is, like, trying a lot harder than everything else. Like, I'm trying to make sense of everything else that's happening in the movie. And then this one part, the movie seems like it's trying to make sense to me. Mm. Okay. I can, I guess, I, I can see, I don't share the same opinion, but I can see where you're coming from. So long as you agree with me unequivocally and with no opposition to my Didn't opinion. say that even a little bit. But... Yeah, because it's the part of the movie where she, you know, abandons her selfishness, right? Like, it's the part of the movie where she is officially, like, gotta go get my brother. Also, Hoggle, why did you poison me? That was kind of messed up. Yes, I appreciate that she gets to be mad at him for, like, poisoning her. Like, a lot of times they, if someone's gonna be mad at the main character, they're gonna, I mean, they did kind of gloss over it ultimately in this movie, but, like, I feel like for a kid's movie, she got to be more righteously angry than she might have been in most other movies. Yeah, and it wasn't an awful misunderstanding. It was like, no, Hoggle did something bad, and yes, he was being manipulated by the bad guy, but he still did something terrible. Yes, and there is accountability for that, which is good. Yes, and I, I, I enjoy that, and I genuinely enjoyed Sarah and Hoggle's friendship. I think it's it's very cute and very well done. Indeed. That's a very charming part of the movie. The whole movie is so charming. It's 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 such a fun time. It's it's got David Bowie dancing, it's got the cute little baby, it's got all the Jim Henson creature effects, it's got Sarah Connolly just being awesome. Sarah Connolly, mm-hmm. Jennifer Connolly. Oops. Been <laughs> saying Sarah so much. Alright. So, so it looks like we're over an hour. Do we want to do some final do we want to do the final thoughts? Yeah, let's do some final thoughts. 
All right. Uh, you this go first. This movie is weird. Okay. So this movie is super weird, super all over the place, and I feel like that's the strength of the movie. Um, I came in expecting to see something super off the wall, super creative, and that's what I got. Glad I finally watched it. I am also glad you finally watched it because it's it's a movie that I enjoy despite my relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I remember watching this movie with some people who are unfortunately not in my life anymore. And I've managed to put aside the feelings uh, the feelings associated with them and just enjoy the movie for being a movie that I enjoyed a lot. And now you can remember the podcast instead. Yeah, now I can remember it with you. And ain't, ain't that sweet. It's it's a charming time. It's it's like don't go in expecting it to be like a modern movie where everything has to be concise and add up exactly correctly. Just go in like watch Alice in Wonderland as if it was Alice in Wonderland. You know, like don't don't try to Tim Burton this. It's it's a cult classic for a reason. I've said it before. It's it's honestly one of my favorite Jim Henson movies. It's sad that it was such a bomb, but Jim Henson did know that it was gaining a cult following by the time of his death. So we can have a little bit of solace in that, I guess. Um, that's a somber way to end this. Uh, like, comment, sub- subscribe, smash, smash the like button, J- just or pat the like the like button really nicely on the head. I don't, I don't really know. Smashing seems kind of harsh. Don't forget to send stuff to our PO box that we have listed. We don't have it listed because the PO box or something I just made up. This um, video is sponsored by uh, Skillshare. Get your Skillshare on. Yeah. Share your skills with Skillshare. Have your body possessed so that someone can use your form in order to do carpentry. Click the link below. And the first 10 people who get possessed will have their own spirit sent to hell. Use the promo code GETBENT. (laughs) Okay, in all seriousness though, um... This episode's being recorded at the same time as our Dinotopia episode, so I don't know what the status of the Discord server is yet. Um, should be up by now. Um, again, I will try to link that somewhere. I don't know where you're listening to this to, but if there's a show notes or description box or something, then there should be a link to a Discord in there. Hit that. Come join us in there. Um, Talk to us about Labyrinth. Yeah, if you if you uh, can't then, get enough see. of us, just uh, you know, just pop into that Discord, say hi. We'll probably be bickering about something. I will probably be talking personally to Belle about what she's done and about how hurt and betrayed I feel over that, and about how I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive her. We we do it's a, it's a weekly team. ritual for us, so. I guess, thanks for listening, if anybody actually made it this far into the video, because uh, we kind of appreciate that. This is a fun little exercise. Yeah, this is a lot of fun to record. Um, we're excited to do more of these, and we hope y'all check it out, too. Um, come check us out next week, where I think we'll be doing Kingdom Hearts games. We're not entirely sure which Kingdom Hearts games we're covering yet. Um, we're playing it all by ear. we'll do the first Yes. Um, either going to be Kingdom Hearts, Chain of Memories, and Kingdom Hearts 2, or maybe we'll just stick to Kingdom Hearts 1. We will see what happens. Until then, we will see you next week. Um, after next week, we'll be switching to only posting an episode every other day. <laughs> every other day? We're going to be exhausted. You heard it here first. I'm just going to take the same episodes and post them every other day. Okay, we're going to be posting every other week. New episodes every other week. Um, New episode next week, every other week after that. So, until then, peace out.
This is going to be a little message for uh, for Bubbles when she's editing this. This was a slog. I hated every second of it. Um, drink poison and go fuck yourself. Editor's note from Bubbles to Bell. I love you too.